Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bezel Banter, a podcast that covers different topics, including travel, various gear, and of course, watches. My name is Ernesto, and today we're talking about chronographs, which is a topic that I'm not too well versed in. So I decided to bring a guest host with us today, and we've heard him before on our podcast. He's one of our friends, and his name is Daniel at Wonger.Bonger. Daniel, welcome this evening. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. And and thank you for having me. I, I really don't know what you're thinking, uh, getting me back on here. You know, your your reputation is just going down and down with me here. <laughs> no, I, I think rather the opposite, actually. We had such a great time last time with Leslie here. And uh, for those of you scratching your head wondering where Leslie is, you know, uh, Leslie's usually doing the intro, so it was very unique for me to go ahead and do this. But she has actually been very busy with her new uh, job, her new position. And so she's been doing quite a bit of traveling. And uh, I couldn't think of a better guest host uh, to be with us because you are so passionate about chronographs. Thank you, man. Yeah. It, uh, and and I, would, I would just before we start, Leslie, we do miss you. Absolutely. At least, um, at least officially. Uh, <laughs> it, it is something that we have to say, right? <laughs> no. I, we, we do miss Leslie, and I think, you know, her input on this topic will be amazing. So hopefully we can, uh, all three of us, talk about this again at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I love chronographs. I think that's probably, uh, I would say, the biggest passion for me in terms of collecting. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to, to be here to chat that with you, man. For those of you that aren't following at wonger.bonger, and I think many of you guys are already doing that, uh, please follow him. And you will see exactly what we're talking about when it comes out to like how passionate he is about chronographs because he's got some amazing examples in his collection. Thank so you. you know what I was thinking about before we, we get started? Um, what's on your wrist? Oh, well, uh, so I figured, you know, if we're talking chronographs today, so first of all, I've got all the chronographs that I have in the house laid out in front of me uh, by by era, right? By the, by the year, essentially. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's how nerdy I am. You know, that's the amount of prep that I went into to, to do this show with you, man. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. but, um, but on the wrist, I'm wearing my 1950s uh, chronograph squeeze. Uh, yeah, it's got the tuxedo dial with the gold printing and the gold hands. Um, I, guess, uh, I guess they're called horned lugs. Mm-hmm. as well on, on this piece it's, it's quite an interesting look very art deco and yeah I, I just quite enjoy the look of this watch very beautiful piece very cool thank you yeah what are you wearing man um so i similarly to you nerded out and brought all of my chronographs which was an easier task for me because i really only have two so it <laughs> was very quick uh so the chronograph that i'm wearing because you know we're talking about chronographs I'm wearing my Rolex Daytona. It's the panda dial. It's the ceramic uh, bezel, and it's the white dial. Yes, the uh, the the big baller shot caller watch. You know, I'm so. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I'm. I really love the aesthetics of this watch, and I was just very fortunate enough to be able to get this through an authorized dealer. And of course I got to thank Leslie cause she, you know, she was such a huge part of me being able to put this into my collection. But 
again, I am a little bit intimidated by chronographs. I really don't have a lot of chronographs in my collection, but as you know, we've been doing bezel banter. I feel like my tastes are evolving and I'm starting to pay attention to some chronographs. So hence the topic, this chronograph yeah. topic. And, um, hopefully I know I'm going to learn some stuff during this episode. Hopefully our listeners will find this, um, not only informative, but also, uh, I guess entertaining as well. I hope so. Yeah. So one thing that was interesting to me going through some of the history of the chronographs that chronographs have been out over 200 years. I mean, it's actually a fairly older complication. And there was a gentleman by the name of Louis Monet. I think I'm mm. pronouncing it correctly. Um, yeah. And he was, he was basically developed a chronograph pocket watch and he used it to really, he used it for astronomical observations and so he was really, you know, focused more on astronomy than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I, I think chronograph is a very, when, when pocket watches, you know, started out, I suppose, uh, there's always been a, a need, right? Like to, mm -hmm. to time different things in different professions, whether that's, you know, horse racing or doctors or whatever you, you, you're doing, there's, I think especially in the beginning, right? Before people had phones, yeah, they, they needed something instead of just counting to, right. to keep track of time, right? So uh, it, it's, I think chronograph as a complication was inevitable. So when he was focused on the astronomy part of things, this watch was actually, or the, I should say, it, this chronograph was actually discovered in 2012 at a Christie's auction. Wow, and the okay. watch dates back to 1816. That's, That's crazy. Ago. Yeah, that is a long time ago. Wow. So the next one that came out was in 1821, just about five years later. And it was uh, by a gentleman named Nicholas Rusek. And I'm butchering these names, which I apologize. Yeah. He's a French name. And, um, you know, he was he was the one that developed this for the horse races, specifically for King Louis the 18th. Hmm. So you're right. All this stuff is all about timing, basically. Yeah. I mean, back then you would think the king would have some people keeping track of time for him, you know, instead of having that dude develop a chronograph right, instead. Right. <laughs> you want to talk about baller status, right? He's, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's the king. So, no, that's cool. And then what was interesting to me is to seeing the brands out there that have that are still here today. And there are brands like Longines. There are brands like Breitling. And they made such an impact to their brand because of chronographs. Yeah, absolutely, man. In fact, Longines, just a couple of years ahead of Breitling, Longines actually created a, um, almost like a, a chronograph that's like a doctor's watch. It was basically developed for the pulse pulsimeter. Yeah, yeah, the one with the uh, the red is it the red scale on the outside of the dial there? I, yes, I think so. And it was yeah. basically depending upon how many seconds it counted out, you would count how much your, how many beats you felt you heard basically yeah. as far as heartbeat. And then you can see like, you know, that person's heart rate. Yeah. Kind of interesting. It's a very, uh, very cool complication. That's for sure. And, and I know uh, a few doctor friends that are into watches that all have pulsimeters for, you know, not really for use, but mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's like a rite of passage, right? It's like a pilot having an avatimer. Uh, a doctor is kind of have to have a pulsimeter watch in their collection. 
Right. And, and, you know, I think a lot of these watches really early on were based off of one pusher. Like, so there was one, it was basically, and the pusher was built in the crown, right? So, I mean, it didn't have any extra pushers that we know of today. The first one that really came out was by uh, Gaston Breitling. Yes, and exactly. He was the one that came out and had multiple pushers on there. And so I thought that was pretty fascinating. That really happened, like, I think it was like 1915 when that happened. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, it, is, it a, is that early? It might be a little later. I, I don't remember exactly, but, but you're right. Like, it was Breitling that first pioneered the, the top and the bottom pusher. Because if you think about it, like, if you have one pusher only, then all you can do is start, stop, and reset, right? Mm-hmm. Versus with two pushers, then you can start, stop, and then you can start it again without resetting it. Like that's right. quite a innovation back in the day, which, you know, I guess still is, is a, the, the golden standard, I suppose, for functional chronographs. Right. Are you talking about flybacks? No, no. I'm just talking about starting and stopping a chronograph. Like if okay. you have one button, right, then that all that button could do is start it when you first right. push it, and then you push it again, then it has to stop. And then you push it again, it has to reset because it doesn't know if you want to start again, right? Like there's no separate reset button to, to reset the chronograph. Exactly. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So w- what was interesting too, though, is because on my notes, I was looking at the first flyback and the yes. first flyback was actually done by Longines. Yeah. And that was done actually in like 19, I think like 1938, right Something before like World that, War yeah. II. Yeah, with their the thirteen Z N movement or something, I don't remember exactly. You're so good. Is that it? Yeah, you're in. That's oh it. Oh my god! I'm wow. Have a it's have official. a drink. Have a drink. I will. That's awesome. Mm. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's just ended here. That's <laughs> that's about enough historical accuracy we're gonna get here today. I, just a little bit more of the history because I think yeah, that. Yeah. I just wanted to share a little bit, and a lot of you guys know this already, but the the things that we're leading with this history is going to talk a little bit about some of the iconic watches that we know of that are iconic chronographs. But, you know, in 1952, again, Breitling came out with the Navitimer, and that in itself is one of the iconic chronographs out there, I believe. Um, It was done specifically for pilots, and back in the day, they didn't have all these fancy computers. And the unique part about the Navitimer was it had that slide rule. Yeah, the slide rule bezel. Yeah, and I've played recently with that slide rule bezel. Um, I, I think that uh, I may not be smart enough to figure out how to work it. <laughs> but I was at a Breitling uh, boutique not too long ago, and I got to play around with that Navitimer. And it's it's pretty cool. It's a pretty slick piece. Yeah, it's a really cool watch, man. I, it's funny, I was... Um, uh, I was at a, a meeting slash dinner thing recently uh, and I was talking with, uh, with a pilot friend of mine discussing maybe, you know, helping um, transport some goods and things like that. And he, he was wearing a Navitimer because, mm-hmm. you know, he's a pilot. So uh, we were chatting and he's like, okay, so how much, uh, how much weight are you trying to carry? And then I was like, I give them a weight. And he's like trying to calculate like, the amount of uh, gallons and liters, how much fuel and all these conversions, like nautical miles to like kilometers, like, oh man, it was crazy. So it's, it's really wild. cool that, yeah, it, it, people actually use them, right? Using That's the that cool tool. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so what's interesting too, when I was at that Breitling boutique, um, 
the guy that I was speaking with, he said the Navitimer was the pilot's watch back in the day. But he said, do you know what more pilots use nowadays? That he, at least that's what he's, you know, he's a Breitling, uh, you know, authorized dealer. What he was saying that a lot of the pilots are using what? is the, the aerospace, the Evo. Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it's that's that's a very cool sort of evolution from the Navitimer because uh, it only has one crown, right? I, I think it only has one crown, but you sort yes. of, depending on how fast you turn the crown, it yes. like cycles through different like uh, menus, I suppose, and, and things like that. It's, it's a very, very cool watch. And I think it's titanium as well, right? It is. It is. It, they used to come in different, uh, they used to come in various uh, colors, but now it's just black and blue. They used to have anthracite as well too. But one thing that I learned recently about the, the aerospace is that they make various aerospaces for different groups. So say, for example, there is a troop, right? A, a military troop. They'll yeah. go ahead and make those pieces specifically for those guys. And there might be a hundred pieces of them. Yeah. With like their logos printed on the dial, right? Yes, exactly. And there's yeah. something in the back as well too. And so what happens is that becomes a commemorative piece for that group. Mm -hmm. And depending upon the group, sometimes they're, you know, they can be a pretty solid collector's piece. Absolutely, man. I, I think any uh, sort of chronograph or any watch with, with a certain group's uh, stamp on it, it's, it's mm -hmm. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. People are probably like, why are you guys talking about the aerospace? And yeah. The reality is, is because it has a chronograph function. <laughs> it does. It, it really <laughs> does. And, you know, laying out, laying it out in front of me, I, I've got my uh, Casio World Time as well. Yes. The little sort of $25, $30 uh, Amazon purchase. <laughs> mm-hmm. It has its place, right, in, in the history of chronographs. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And the evolution of chronographs from when we were talking, you know, 1816 all the way down to 2021, you know, mm -hmm. it has definitely evolved. The other ones I just wanted to highlight was, of course, in 1957, the Omega Speedmaster came out. And we know it as the, um, the NASA, the space watch, the moon watch. But realistically, it was a racing watch. I mean, a yeah. lot of... A lot of the chronographs, as, as we'll talk a little bit deeper into it, in the 50s and the 60s, and even really the 70s, they were all about racing and cars. Yeah. Which you and, and I have a little passion that, about. Exactly. And that's why I have such a passion for chronographs as well. You know, seeing all the, the movies on, on racing and all that. And, you know, obviously the one, the, the, the one that everyone knows is, is Steve McQueen wearing the, his Monaco, right? So, oh, yeah. You know, all of these things, they, they definitely contribute to uh, my passion for chronographs. Like, and in fact, like I, when I bought my first Beemaster, that's what I wanted. I didn't want the, the moon watch. I wanted the broad arrow reference so that it throws back to the racing heritage of the watch nice. instead of the, uh, yeah, instead of the moon landing history. That's cool. You know, the other ones out there that we'll, we'll put on our show notes too is, is the one from like 1963, which... You know, I'm wearing my Daytona today, but that's really when the Cosmograph Daytona came out in 1963, and it was very different than what we know of it today, right? So back in the day, that watch was a manual wind Valjou movement. Yeah. And in time, uh, Rolex ended up working with uh, Zenith El Primero, and they put El Primero movements into that. And, yeah. um, you know, soon thereafter, Rolex made their in-house movement, so. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's actually an interesting topic. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or later, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyways. Uh, Do it, yeah. The, the, the fact that a lot of these manufacturers from back in the day relied on man, other manufacturers, suppliers, movement mm-hmm. suppliers to give them chronograph movements, right? Because chronograph is such a, uh, what, what's the word? Um, difficult complication to, to manufacture, to produce and design that, you know, there weren't a lot of companies doing it back in the day. So, you know, the, you've got your, your Venus and Valju and, you know, you've got your Lemania movements and things like that, Landeron, and all those suppliers supplied movements to all of the major brands that are still around today, right? Mm-hmm. Even, right. I mean, even we're talking Patek, like they didn't make their in-house movement until I think it was like, late 2000s or early 2010s. Um, yeah, so it's, I think that really speaks to why the chronograph complication is such a important one, such an important one to, uh, to highlight. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, it's only been very recent that, uh, that Omega was making their own movement. For the longest time, they were using the Lamania movements. Yeah, exactly. And, and arguably, even the new 38... 61 movement in the mm-hmm. in the new new moon watch is technically just an evolution of the 861 or the the 1861 which really you can trace its roots back to the lamania three uh lamania based movements the uh, the 321 caliber yeah true yeah so speaking of evolutions of of chronographs i think 1969 was an important year right oh for chronographs yeah. Absolutely. There were like a few companies out there. The, it was a dogfight, basically, to it see was, who was going to be the first automatic chronograph out there because it was all manual wind, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. All the, all the calibers we've discussed previous to this have been manual winding chronographs until 69. Yeah, 69 was a big year. You know, the ones that were, were battling it out were like Zenith with the El Premier movement, which became a very popular movement. And yeah. and. To underscore what you were saying earlier, people were using other people's movements. It wasn't mm-hmm. like in-house was a big deal at the time. They would go ahead, you know, Rolex was using El Primero's. The second brand that was vying for the first top spot, basically, was um, Hoyer, right? So the Hoyer Caliber 11, they yeah. were battling it out with Zenith. Yeah, and and that movement was co-produced or, or produced in association with a couple other brands like Hamilton, I think Hamilton and Burren, uh, Breitling and, and Dubois, the okay. movement. I think th- those few companies came together to make one automatic movement. I mean, that also in itself uh, speaks to how complicated it is to, to come up with a, with a chronograph movement. Right. Yeah. I guess there's the a pretty solid team that has to make that happen. You know, that's yeah. fascinating too, because, um, and I'm jumping the gun here, but like there is a chronograph out there. There is a brand of chronographs out there. You said Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am, I'm kind of intrigued with their intramatic chronos, but we'll talk it's, about that later. <laughs> it's a handsome watch. Yes. Yes. But, but going back yeah. to the, to the race, to having the automatic uh, chronograph, uh, you know, Seiko was also in contender for a, for this race. Do you know that? Let me. I'm going to take a stab at this because I'm not a okay. chrono guy. But was it the was it the movement that's in the Pogue? 
Yes, sir. You're absolutely oh, right. Yes, the, look at me. The six one three eight. No, 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 no. Six one three nine movement. That's the one. Okay, so I I do I do dig those pogues. There, I mean, we we have a few friends of ours on Instagram that have this watch, mm-hmm. and I'm a sucker for that. I'm a sucker for that vintage chronograph. Sega. Yeah. I mean, like the one with the yellow dial. Yeah, <sighs> love it. The golden poke, yeah, the, the proper yeah. poke, right? I, yes. I, I'm lucky enough to have owned the, the Pepsi version. Okay. And it's a phenomenal watch, man. The, the way that it, you know, it's got quick set day and date built in. Mm-hmm. And it's also a column wheel vertical clutch chronograph. And it has an internal rotating ring that you can mm-hmm. use to time something else on top of the 30-minute timer that it has. It, it's an unbelievable watch, really. Yeah, and you know what? Right now, um, the price point's still fairly good on those. Yeah. I, I think one of the things, if you're looking for that type of a piece, you just have to be aware of the how it, how that how original that watch is because I think that a yeah. lot of times people are putting stuff in there and it kind of loses a little provenance. Yeah, man. There's a lot of Frankens out there, let's say. Yeah, a lot of Franken pogues. Yeah. But uh, my advice to those people who are our listeners who are who are looking to get into a pogue, perhaps, is look up at Seiko Buster on Instagram. He's got a huge good he's got a great uh, profile of of different things that he points out to look for okay. uh, when you're buying not just pogues, but any really vintage Seiko that are, you know, heavily fake nowadays. So it's, it's a good account to, to look up before your purchase. So that's a great tip. I'll make sure that I include that in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. No, no problem. Um, you know, we were looking at that timeline and we just talked about like the first and and it's still controversial, right? So we don't know exactly who the first one really is. (laughs) People have their bets and thoughts on it. It's whatever you believe it to be. Yes, exactly. Um, but, you know, not too far afterwards, probably about five years later, I think it was like 1974, where Val Zhu came out with a 7750. And yes. I think those guys really put themselves on the map because they were able to they were able to figure out a way, develop the formula to come up with these movements, these, auto, uh, these automatic chronograph yeah. movements. And they got so good at it, they were able to do it at a fairly reasonable price that other brands were like, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and pick up that movement instead of having to make our own, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what every brand did back then, right? Like even up till we're talking now, like the mid 70s, mm-hmm. you know, people are still just people as in brands are still looking for suppliers, right? Um, to find chronograph movements to put in their watches because it's just such a difficult thing to develop really is really yeah. is and but sorry sorry to interrupt no, you there please, but Valjou, especially the 7750 movement has a very interesting history because it's based on the Valjou 7730 movement which is actually heavily based on a venus 188 movement okay so there's a long sort of chain of interwining companies, buying companies, taking each other's shit and turning it into something else. 
before it came, became the 7750. I, I love it, though, because that's what makes things better. When you collaborate yes. and you work with different people, things get better. Things, they can't help but get better. It's, it's almost as if this is a metaphor for world peace. <laughs> to develop the evolution of chronographs is a metaphor for world peace. There we go. I think we just found the title of this episode. There we go. <laughs> I think. I, I mean, I think we just solved world peace. It's oh. what we did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, so that's interesting in itself. And, it, it, and when I look at it now, that movement has been out for almost 50 years. Yeah. And it, and it powered so many iconic chronographs, even still. Still, yes, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. To this day, they're still, they're still making movements for iconic chronographs out there. Yeah. So, Daniel, the, you know, the history behind it's very fascinating. But I think sometimes the topic in itself of the movement can be a little confusing. And so I wanted to see if you could spend a few minutes with, with our listeners today and just yeah. talk a little bit about the difference between clutches and column wheels and vertical clutches and horizontal and lateral clutches oh, and all man. that kind of stuff. Okay, so before we start, I am no watchmaker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you know, take whatever I say with a grain of salt. And, uh, you know, I, I do love this topic because... I am a nerd at heart and mm -hmm. I love, you know, taking shit apart and putting it back together. So reading about different types of chronographs was definitely a, a favorite uh, thing to do for me. But uh, again, you know, if I get something wrong, please don't hang me for it um, down the road. So there's two major, uh, I guess, camps when it comes to chronograph movements. Okay. There's the, uh, you know, setting aside courts and setting aside mecha courts. We're talking about mechanical chronograph movements. Okay. There's there's two major camps. You've got your horizontal and cantilever, and then you've got your vertical clutch and uh, column wheel. So, mm -hmm. a lot of the older chronograph movements were all vertical clutch and column wheel because it allows you to have a crisper pusher feel and less wear and tear on the components. And um, I think there's also less drivetrain loss, so your timekeeping is more accurate as well. But the thing with that is it's very difficult to produce because the column wheel itself, it's kind of like, think of it, the shape of it is sort of like a two-layered wedding cake, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's into, made into one. And right. I guess the bottom part is the part that's always connected to the drivetrain of the, the movement. So it's always sort of powered and uh, running. And then you've got the top part, the smaller cog or, or column cog or wheel that, uh, that is spinning, that, that spins with the bottom part whenever you push a pusher. So then that's what activates or deactivates or resets your chronograph. And um, it, it's, it's less visually appealing because it's more complicated process, but it's stacked together so that it's harder to show through a display case back or whatever. Um, but it is the, the quote unquote better way to do it. And then, you know, later on, and actually it's, it's interesting, like going back to the, the manufacturer Venus we we're talking about, they were one of the first ones to make column wheel chronographs, column wheel vertical clutch chronographs for wristwatches. 
And then I think in the 60s or 50s or something, uh, they were like, in order to stay competitive with our competitors to, to stay in the market, they must develop some cheaper options. So that's when they started developing the, uh, the 188 series movement, the 200 series movement uh, that are cam and lever and horizontal clutch. So what that means is essentially you can now visually see the chronograph more and it's, uh, it's almost like, like a modular thing that's on top of or behind a, a, a whole other movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the thing with that is, is sometimes when you, because of the nature of the clutch, uh, and, and the cam, um, whenever you push the, uh, the start or stop button, there's a slight judder uh, that comes with that, that system. So on the horizontal, right? Yes, on the horizontal yeah. clutch and the, and the cam. Um, so that's why sometimes when you start a Speedmaster, a modern Speedmaster, you'll, you'll see that little jump, you know, mm-hmm. to half a second, and then it starts ticking again uh, properly. So uh, but it is a, a cheaper system to make. And yeah, it, it's essentially what Valju did, right? Valju took that system and made it into the 7730. They evolved it by adding more jewels and, and bettering the design and then eventually turning it into the 7750 movement. Um, yeah, but that, that being said, there's, you know, there's good column wheel vertical clutch movements there's also bad column wheel vertical clutch movements and then mm-hmm. vice versa there's also really good cam and lever movements like the one in the uh, speedmaster so it's not right. to say one is better than the other uh, it's more like you know they all have their advantages and disadvantages mm-hmm. like vertical clutch and column wheel movement is going to be more difficult to manufacture more expensive to produce right uh, because of that and also uh, harder to service as well Whereas your, your horizontal clutch and, and the cam and lever movement, it's, it's going to be cheaper to buy, uh, more accessible and uh, easier, uh, cheaper to, to service as well um, than, a, than a vertical clutch. So, you know, you've got your pros and cons on each side. You know what I, what I find interesting, too, is because I have one of each, right? So the, the, yeah. the horizontal clutch is my speedy and then on the vertical clutch is the Daytona. Yeah. And what I find interesting on that is you can feel the difference. So when you're starting, when you're actuating the chronograph, you can feel the little, it's a little bit more of a um, little bit more energy needed to go ahead and start it while the, on the, on the speedy, on the speedy. Right. Yeah. And then on the, on the Daytona, it's a lot smoother. Just the yeah. pushers in itself are a lot smoother. And that goes back to what you're talking about with the vertical clutch and the less drag. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What's interesting to me too that I was kind of reading through on that horizontal, um, on the horizontal clutch, there are amazing brands out there, amazing brands that do a great job with that, and they're they're brands like Lange, right, mm-hmm. Lange Unzona, and then mm-hmm. also even FP Jorn, and they yeah. make those. and And you said something that really resonates with me. It looks nicer. It's, it, mm-hmm. it looks a lot cooler and you'll notice that a lot of those brands will have the open case back so you can see what that movement looks like. And when you look then at like some of the Seikos, for example, um, and, and you even look at like the Daytona, there's no, there's no open case back. It's all closed mm-hmm. because it's probably not as pretty to, to look at, but it just, it's got a different feel to it. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. I mean, to me, I, I find all chronograph movements like very fascinating to, to observe and, and mm -hmm. to see them operate. But yeah, there's definitely a big visual difference when you're talking, uh, you know, vertical clutch or, or horizontal clutch. Yeah. The other thing too, that I wanted to see if you might be able to touch on a little bit is, is the different types of chronographs. Okay. Right? So, I mean, like when we look at stuff, we talked a little bit about the flyback and what's kind of neat about the flyback is like, it's able to go ahead and start timing something. Right. And then without having to stop and reset it, the reason why it's called the flyback is because the seconds will kick back in and it'll start mm -hmm. the next thing that you want to time. Yeah. So, so essentially instead of pressing stop and reset to reset the timer or mm -hmm. reset the chronograph. So it, think of it like this, right? A conventional chronograph in order to, to, if you're timing something already mm -hmm. in order to start another timer, you'll have to press the stop button. You'll have to press the reset button. And then you'll have to press the start button again to start the next timing. Right. right. Whereas a flyback, you just click the flyback button, which is generally the, the reset or the stop button. Right. Which is uh, at the four o'clock usually, right? The four o'clock yes. position. Mm -hmm. Depends on the, yes, but usually at the four o'clock. Uh, but all you have to do is press that while it's running. And then it just flies back to the beginning. And as soon as you let go, it starts running again. So it skips a lot of steps. <laughs> and so one thing for our listeners, though, don't try that on your regular chronograph if it's not a flyback. Right. There's a potential to, to damage it. To damage it. Depending exactly. on the movement. Yeah. Especially on your vintage stuff. <laughs> yeah. Don't, please don't try that. We don't want to be responsible for you guys damaging your chronographs. No. You know, the other ones that were kind of neat were like the regatta mm -hmm. and split seconds. Yeah. Yeah. R regatta is a, a complication, sort of a sub complication in the chronograph realm that is focused specifically on yachting mm -hmm. right so it's it's got these huge dots on the dial as indicators for the minute counter right so um i think all of it adds up to 15 minutes if i'm correct i think it depends upon the watch you're right but like some yeah. are, some are five some are 10 some are 15. yeah yeah so it depends on the watch um yeah, so that that's also a very interesting uh, thing. But I've always wondered because, you know, we're talking chronographs and we're talking sport watches like the Speedmaster that are not very water resistant. And then you've got these regatta timers, which, you know, were designed to use in a wet environment. Right. But I've always wondered, like, how many of them did actually use these functions in the water when it's wet? Because if you push a pusher on a chronograph when it's wet, Generally, it compromises the gaskets yeah. in that pusher. So, you know, that's kind of interesting that companies were doing this. It is. So I think, so there are two things that I'm thinking about. One is the timing of the countdown to get started for that race. I think the timing, it, it takes into consideration of not just the, um, the time before the race starts, but actually it'll go ahead and keep counting after the race. Afterwards, after the, the race. After yeah. The, yeah. After the gun goes off, basically. The two so you don't have to I, press You don't have to start again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It'll just yeah. kind of keep going. Um, so that's why it's a timer in the beginning. Right. And then it just starts timing your chrono like you would normally. Yeah. But the two that I think about are the Rolex uh, Yacht Master. Yeah. And then the other one, and I don't know the reference number, shame on me, is by... Um, Panerai. 
because they had ah. a regatta timer as well too. Yes, so, bo- yes, so they did. To to kind of add a little bit to what your thoughts were with regards to water issues, right, or getting wet. I think yeah. those two would be okay. I don't. I can't speak on the other ones, but those probably are going to be safe. Plus, yeah. you're not underwater really, so. Yeah, exactly. It just splashes and things, right? Hopefully, if you're unless you go overboard, then you're right. kind of. You don't want to yeah. spill your drink on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, no. So the, that, those are two different types. The other one was the um, the split seconds. Yes. That's kind yes, of a this, neat complication. That is, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I would love to own one of these one day because it's just such a cool complex, complication to have. Um, mm-hmm. So essentially, there's a stacked seconds hand that well, if when you start the chronograph, they both the seconds hands will run. And then as it's running, there's a fourth button or sorry. Yeah, a fourth button on the watch. So instead of the start, stop and the regular crown, there is going to be another button usually on, say, like the 10 or 11 o'clock position. Mm-hmm. And then when you push that button, the the bottom seconds hand will stop and let you know where that that time is right and then the but the 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 calendar really will start will will keep going right until you you press that button again and they catch up to each other and sync again it's it's so that you can record split times and not reset the timer exactly so you're basically able to time more than one event it's the same event but you're able to time two different things yes so i for for uh, i guess for me the best excellent the best way to explain it is if you're timing a race and Mm -hmm. then you've got the first guy coming in you can press the split second button record the time right keep the timer running and the second guy comes in again you stop it again to but you know you you press the split second again to record that time but also still keeping the, the the overall timer going exactly exactly yeah the other name for the split second is also called Ratrapant. Yes, Ratrapant. Ratrapante? I say Ratrapante. It's funny okay. because I, I don't know why. It's actually a French word. Yeah. It's, I think so. It's Ratrapant. Like, this is where we need Leslie so that she can <sighs> say it yes. correctly. In her, in her amazing, correct accent. Yes. All of us are hypnotized when she says, Je je le coult instead of Jaeger le coultre, right? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah. it's actually a French word, and the meaning is to catch up. Ah, very cool. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense, catch up, because you're timing two different things. And yeah. um, so Ratrapante, I, I, yeah. I make it Italian too when I say Ratrapante, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. I think it depends on the mood it. for me. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm drinking wine. Uh, what kind of wine? Italian? Oh, okay. It's Ratchaponte. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a vino with my Ratchaponte, you know. <laughs> right. exactly. Hey, out of curiosity though, Daniel, like what what brand do you think of when you see like split seconds? What what Oh, okay. That's a great question. And for me, Langa. Oh, okay. And this Very is cool. why, because they make the world's well, they made the world's first and only triple split. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So we're talking split seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Where only the second hand stops. But Langa made a watch where it has a second counter, a minute counter, and an hour counter for the chronograph. And all of those are able to split from the running timer. So that is an unbelievable 
crazy amount of engineering going into one watch. And, you know, that's sort of the grail of all grails for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. The one that I think yeah. about for the brand would be IWC. Ah, they've yes. made so many the you know, split seconds. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it, what's cool about them is that they took that IWC Flieger chronograph design and made it into so many different things. You know, you've got your regular Flieger watch, and mm-hmm. then you've got the chronograph, and then you've got like uh, the perpetual calendar and all that kind of different stuff. So Doppel, it's it's very interesting that that brand and that specific reference or or family or collection i guess they they really had a very like iwc still does to this day they they have a very broad offering when it comes out to like different types of movements different types of functions mm-hmm. different types of complications yeah you see really you know they really have that broad scope of it yeah and actually speaking of iwc i think it's cool that maybe i should bring this up now the I have in front of me an IWC uh, Porsche design chronograph from, uh, I guess this would be the the 80s. So IWC collaborated with uh, Porsche design who who came up with the designs for the watch and then they made the watch for Porsche design. So it's on on different dials, it'll say just Porsche design and on some it'll say IWC and Porsche design. And others, it'll actually say Porsche design by IWC. So it's a, it's a very cool, uh, you know, piece of history as well because this was the first full titanium chronograph ever. Oh, okay. So bracelet case was all titanium, and it's using the Valjoux 7750 movement. Nice, tried yeah. and true. Tried and true, right? Yeah. All kinds of brands are are still using it today. So. Yeah, IWC is a is a very uh, cool brand. I think, like a lot of their watches, uh, if you don't really handle them and see them on in person, you don't. Sometimes you don't get it because it's like, oh, it's a simple three hander. What is the the appeal, right? Like, and then you get it in the flesh and you feel the quality. You you handle the watch and see how it shimmers in the light and and different, you know, the finishing on the dials and all that. So. It's it's a very fascinating brand. Yeah, it totally is. It 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 really is a great brand. You know what's interesting to me is the the CEO formerly of IWC, George Kern, mm. right, is now the CEO of Breitling. Yeah, guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And I think what's interesting to me is going into Breitling. I wonder if he's gonna try to streamline or to try to really start focusing on the various because Breitling has a broad uh, product offering as well too right they have so many different ones I I just kind of I'm curious to see like what he ends up doing how he ends up either making it similar or not similar to what he's done with IWC because what yeah I know that he's done amazing stuff when he was at IWC and at the helm at IWC Mm -hmm. I mean if you look at the recent releases from Breitling just this year They've got some really cool chronographs that they released. Mm-hmm. You yes. know that that uh, that mint green dial uh, premiere. Yes. Oh man, that's really cool, man. And they and they got that new. Uh, I think it was a was it an annual calendar chronograph? They do have an annual out there as yeah. well, too. One of the things that I that caught my eye when I was looking through that Breitling boutique was the fact that it it started looking a lot dressier to me. 
and in precious metals, it looked gorgeous. And so you, you know, previously when I would think of Breitling and I thought chronographs, it'd be like a, I don't know, a 48 millimeter super Avenger. Yeah. Like a coral match or something. Yeah. I mean, it was a very, it was distinctly, um, more of a tool function. And then I just saw some of those premieres and man, elegant is the adjective that I think about now with some of these pieces. And if you, uh, so me being a vintage guy, Mm -hmm. uh, I would, I would argue that, you know, Breitling has a history of, of having dressy chronographs, beautiful dressy chronographs. I mean, if you look in the sixties and the seventies, they were making, uh, Breitling top times and and premieres oh, yeah. Yeah. with hand, with manual wine movements in in you know in steel in solid yellow gold and all kinds of different things. So with panda dials with uh, regular uh, you know regular dials, they're, they're they're beautiful watches. They really I'm are. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. I think you know Kern is must be behind this. You know, bring back these historic references like the premier um, and the top times. So yeah. I think uh, there's a bright future ahead for Breitling chronographs. <laughs> it sounds like an ad. Bright future for Breitling. <laughs> oh my! Turn hire us. <laughs> yes. So it's been amazing to talk a little bit about these various watches, and and the one I'd love to get your take, Daniel, on like what you see are the iconic chronographs. Ah, okay. Well, I, I think off the top of my head. Uh, I know, I know you're, you're a, a modern watch kind of guy, right? So I, I think to split this up, I think okay. I will knock on some of the, uh, the vintage references per se. Okay. So, so I think for me, um, it would, me being a Speedmaster fiend, I will have to start with the, uh, the first Speedmaster, you know, the, the very original with the alpha case and the broad arrow hands, uh, the, the original 1957 Speedmaster mm-hmm. uh, with the amazing and, and legendary 321 movement inside. So that's a Lemania based movement and column wheel vertical clutch, right? So before they switched to the 861 movement with the horizontal clutch and cam and lever. So it's the OG of, of Speedmaster. So that to Love me it. was very iconic. Love it. Um, I would I would say on on the uh, from from the east the Pogue is definitely very iconic as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, the Monaco, the original Monaco. Right. Caliber eleven. Yes, the Caliber eleven. I mean, just the colors alone, right? And mm-hmm. that debut on Le Mans, the movie with, with Steve McQueen. That's iconic on yeah. its own. yeah yeah i mean there's there's so many there's honestly so many different chronographs that i would love to name um what about you man i have five on my list (laughs) okay all right (laughs) leslie's not here so i have to like i have to try to do her right by going ahead and throwing a bunch of um stuff out there normally i would just do three but i had to add a couple extra um in in the spirit of leslie so yeah. the, I didn't go as detailed as you. So I didn't go with the caliber or the movement or anything like that. But I will share with you the brand and the model. And the first one in my mind was the Omega Speedmaster. Mm-hmm. Second, Breitling Navitimer. Mm-hmm. Rolex Daytona. Yes, I'm going to go with Zenith El Primero as number four. Okay. 
And then the the Hoyer caliber 11. Yeah. And for me, to me, those are the five iconic pieces at whatever iteration you want to pick, whether it's a modern or whether it's the vintage, mm-hmm. all of them have such rich history to me that mm-hmm. if you even pick the newest one right now in the AD, still iconic, you want to mm-hmm. pick the one that first came out, the rich history behind that, still iconic. I mean, to me, those are like the five top of the chronograph game. Absolutely, man. And it's that's a very interesting list because uh, it's funny, you're mentioning all these watches by the brand, right? Mm-hmm. And when you mention those watches to me, I'm thinking like movement manufacturer, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on, a, on a vintage level, because I think a lot of those new watches now have their own uh, in-house movements, but yes. we're talking like old Navitimers, old Daytonas, right? They all pretty much share very uh, the same movement as, as many other brands out there. Uh, just, uh, you know, I guess name one, like the, the Rolex that we were talking about had the Valjoux 92 movement or the Valjoux mm-hmm. 72 movement, 72, I think it was, but yeah, that, that movement was found in so many different watches, you know, it, it really wasn't anything to boast about, right. By the brand right. at the time. It's not, not that it's not a bad, it's not a good movement or anything. It's just a very good movement used by plenty of other brands. Yeah. Um, and, and Daniel, at the time, that watch was a couple hundred dollars, right? It wasn't really that exciting of a watch. I mean, it was no. a watch that I heard that back in the day, they would just give that watch away. If you With the purchase get, of like a yellow gold. Uh, yeah, exactly. Day date or a date just. Yeah. You would get yeah. that watch. Imagine and, those times. Imagine those times and ha- and getting one for a couple hundred bucks, keeping it, and it's still in your safe, what that's worth today. Holy. Tens of thousands. Yeah, man. If not more. Not no more now. I mean, hun- yeah. hundreds of thousands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it to me, it's fascinating, and this is why you're here, my friend, because of the fact that I'm taking it from a twenty to thirty thousand foot view, while you go all the way in to the trenches with wow. the caliber movements. I love it. Thank you. That's that's why they call me nerd, right? So <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah. You too. You too. Of course. Um, yeah, I, I I think also we've mentioned essentially the the quote-unquote mainstream brands right Mm, i think it's also worth mentioning the brands on on another level per se okay okay so the the brands like patek and and vacheron and long so those are also amazing brands with long histories of chronographs and then like everybody else were using other manufacturers for their chronograph movements so Patek and, and Vacheron, they were basing a lot of their chronograph movements on the Lemania uh, movements. And uh, Lange, actually, Lange is probably the, the, I guess, the shining white knight in this tier of watchmaking. Because when they came back in the 90s, I think it was in 94, they, they came back, right? Because they had a period where, you know, after World War II, they stopped making stuff. Right. And then in 94... When they came back uh, five years later, it was in 99, they debuted to the world their brand new in-house developed long uh, manual wind chronograph movement. It was actually a flyback movement and it has a big date complication in the very first generation datograph. 
So that's a hell of a feat if you think about it, right? Because yes. this was in 99. And I mean, I don't remember the exact date but or, or year, but I think it, it was like a decade or something like that, a decade later, Patek and Vacheron finally came out with their own uh, chronograph movements. So, you know, Lange deserves a, a mention here in this episode for, for being the, the innovator and the pioneer of, of chronograph movements in the industry. Especially when you're talking about hot horology, right? I mean, like yes. those are the high level um, watch brands that, that you just mentioned. And yeah. to them come out first place in the race when it comes to that, the data graph is still to this day. I mean, you flip that thing over. First of all, the aesthetics of the, of the case, aesthetics of the dial, beautiful i love Perfection. the way langa does the 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 date windows so yeah. cool so cool yeah yeah it's it's i mean it's the the design is just i mean there's it's second to none you know it, yeah. it's such a unique design um yeah it, it, and you rarely see that i think in the watch industry to to have a brand new design that nobody's ever seen before right and i think that's that's why the langa is Lange brand is such a, a, a sought-after brand, right? Because yes. of that representation and that image of themselves. Right. And I was going to say, like, to me, like, when you see a Lange and you flip it over and you look at the case back, it doesn't matter yeah. to me whether it's it's a manual movement, it doesn't matter if it's self-winding automatic, it doesn't matter if it has that small mini rotor. Mm-hmm. The movement in the back of those are mesmerizing. It, like, it's it just transports amazing. you. It, it really, really does, does transport you. I, it to me, I almost you know I think of it like a, it's a it's a little city. It's a little city in yes. in, in the watch. You know, it's, there's so much depth to the movement. It's really crazy how they were able to accomplish all the different complications within the movement, but also make it so aesthetically pleasing as well. Yeah, you know, you and I have a friend. His name's Jeremy. He's at Time Peace Love, right? And he, he likes to go ahead and flip his Panerai over sometimes so that he wears the case, case back up front, right? Yeah, yeah. Do that with a Longa, you'll never get any work done. <laughs> be staring at that thing all day long. <laughs> Absolutely. Here's a, here's a question while we're on the topic sure. of Longa. Yeah. What is your Grail Longa? Ooh, that's a great question. Actually, For... actually, hang on. Let me, let me rephrase it. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Let me okay, rephrase this. Go, go ahead. Let's say you have all the money in the world for disposable income and you already have everything that you want to own. Okay. Okay. So what is the, the, the Langa for you? I am not, I am not that hardcore of a, of a guy. Like I'm very basic. I'm simple. Okay. Um, so for me, it would be the Langa one. It would Beautiful be, watch. it would be a 38.5 millimeter timepiece. It's got those yeah. windows that I like. It's, it's, um, what metal would you like it in? I would Sorry. love it in rose gold, please. Thank you. <laughs> love it. Love it. You That's, know, the, the rose gold with a gray dial. Oh, oh God. I'm in. Please. Perfection. I'm in. And, and so to me, it's like, because that is a watch that I would wear, not every day because I like to rotate watches, and anything, but it's something that would not be, even though it would be a grail, it would not be a safe queen. I'm not a right. big believer in safe queens. I mean, I wear all of my watches. Um, 
I mentioned to somebody the other day, I wear all of my watches when I remember to wear my watches. Sometimes I get stuck in a loop and I'm not rotating them correctly. So I have to remind myself sometimes to wear these watches. If the watch gets too much, if we start talking about tourbillons, if we start talking about minute repeaters and we start doing that, I start becoming scared of putting it on my, I would be intimidated to put it on my wrist. But with that longer one, I think I'm still okay with it. I'll be fine. Is it the price tag of the watch that intimidates you? Um, somewhat. And all of a sudden I start putting some of these more expensive, the 50 to hundred thousand plus dollar watches, you know, um, I've tried them on. I think they're Mm -hmm. awesome, but to have it in my collection and put it through my rotation, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I just don't think it's me. Okay. Okay. It's it might be too high end for me, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think for me, uh, it, it would probably be the either the if I had all the money in the world. Yes. And I've already had all the stuff that I want, like yes. an 1815 up down chronograph, which is probably mm. what I would buy first. That's so nice. Those that. are great. Uh, I would probably choose the triple split as the grail longer or any just grail chronograph for me yeah i could yeah. see you with that and you, you know why you are you are more elegant and more sophisticated well, than me I, and i'm just saying that in a good way because of the fact that you're a younger chap i'm just saying that but okay. like the way uh just your collection when i look at your collection i'm not trying to compare collections but when i look at your collection there is a level of elegance in that in those pieces I, I really appreciate you saying that because we're sitting here and I'm wearing a t-shirt and a sweater or a hoodie and and you're complimenting me on how sophisticated I am. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. No, thank it's you. true though. Likewise, yeah. man. You're Likewise, welcome. honestly. You're very yeah. welcome. So we talked a little bit about grails, not necessarily the grails of chronographs because the one that I picked wasn't a chronograph, but yes, it was just a grail longa, but if we were to talk about various chronographs that are catching your eye and something yeah. that you're interested in, what are you looking at? What are some of the chronographs that you would like to get in your collection? Yeah. I mean, I'll ask you the same question after because I'd love to hear your answers, but okay. uh, I'll go first because you please. know I'm selfish yeah. and all. No, no, um, please. <laughs> so I think next for me, uh, the, the next major addition for me would likely be a uh, vintage Speedmaster, as cliche and, and boring as that is. Um, I would love the reference 145.012. Uh, the last 321 caliber Speedmaster and the, the one that's actually most mass produced with the 321 caliber. So... Hmm. Hopefully it won't be too much money when I want to get one. I mean, there's still like, you know, a, a decent chunk of cash right now even, and they're on their way up. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get one of those uh, sometime, hopefully soon. Cool. Um, I mean, not really actually soon as in the next couple of years, but um, that's, that's really on my list. Um, also at the same time, sort of as a, as a, I guess, a, a I don't know, a, Ah, what, what's the word? Dark horse that nobody really ever thinks about. Mm-hmm. I would love to own a Cartier mono pusher chronograph one day. 
Mm. It is absolutely beautiful. The the dials and the crown. Um, are you familiar with that watch? No, it's, no, not at oh all. Oh my god! Please Google for a photo. It's unbelievable looking. It's so elegant. It so Cartier, but also very functional with the chronograph uh, complication. Right, yeah, and it being so, a mono pusher, you just have basically what one. Yeah, one crown. You just one have the crown. crown. Yeah, yeah. You actually push the the cabochon, right? So you, you know, right, it's right. Cartier, so it has yeah, a cabochon yeah. crown, and you just push that, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful watch. It's so, cool. yeah, it's just so romantic to me. The the Cartier brand is so romantic to me, and to to have one of their chronographs would be unbelievable. But the mono pusher is is quite out of reach in terms of price, right? So um, I think maybe then uh, before that, a, a an attainable Cartier chronograph, and this is another dark horse, would be uh, late '90s, early 2000s Cartier Pasha chronograph. Oh yes, yeah, Those that are cool. that one is really really cool because it has a it has a dive bezel on it. Mm-hmm. The one I'm looking at specifically, I I don't remember the the reference number or the or the name. Um, but uh, surprisingly, wow, why don't I remember this? But um, it, it's cool because it has a gray guilloche dial mm-hmm. and it has a platinum bezel. Um, and it's so under the radar right now that nobody's really looking at them or you know wanting to buy them. So they're very, very reasonably priced. Um, yeah, and, and, it has a, and it has a very good chronograph movement inside, a vertical clutch, column wheel, uh, yeah chronograph movement inside it's i think it's made by uh Fed- frederic piguet was that the, the company and anyways I'll, I'll look this up later but it's it's a very well-known chronograph and one of uh jean-claude bever's uh, favorites that's awesome. uh, from what i know yeah 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 so so definitely those those are the, the the choices that i'm eyeing for now but what about you man um uh, you know again i'm going to preface this by i'm not really a chronograph guy um <laughs> I, I i know i say that but i'm like i've been eyeballing them so much more but one that i think that i would really like to get onto into my collection is the the zenith the chronomaster i think the one that i'm really starting to eyeball is the revival the el primero that's the a385 mm-hmm. um and it's the one with that with that brown it's got like a gradient dial gorgeous uh, it it, it, it kind of has that, and I know this is probably blasphemy in your book, but it kind of looks vintage, even though it's mo- it's a modern watch. But that being said, this were one of the first three um, product offerings that Zenith made in 1969 when they were putting the first automatic chronograph together. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful watch, man. I, I highly push you to to go for it you know, i think you I, need it i love the way you use the word need you need um, it <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a drug dealer going to one of his clients like you know you need it <laughs> right right you need that el primero yeah you know the other one that have that have caught my eye recently is really that hoyer it's it's tag hoyer now because it's a modern iteration but it's it's basically the limited edition i I think they're totally sold out of this a while back it's the carrera the 160 year silver um dial 
it's just a cool looking. It's a 39 millimeter um, piece. There's nothing fancy there. So there's no bezel like we know with some mm-hmm. of the chronographs. It's just a clean dial. It looks very dressy. And yeah. I kind of like the fact that I'm not hating on tag at all, but I like the fact that they have used design cues from their history yeah. and not put tag in there. And it just says Carrera and Hoyer. That's just kind of neat. It's a, I was just going to say, it's a classic racing watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you watch the movie uh, Ford versus Ferrari, Matt Love that got, movie. That yeah, was awesome. Exactly. Matt Damos weren't wearing a vintage Carrera on his wrist. Right. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful watch. And it's so iconic, right? Like immediately from afar, you can tell that that's a Carrera. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I will say go for it. Yeah. Those two, those two I find interesting. Um, and, and I am a sucker for history as well too. So I like the, the story behind those watches and yeah. specifically those two, I, I really dig, you know, but I was at that, um, that Breitling uh, boutique recently mm-hmm. and Daniel, those, those chronos that they're making nowadays, that premiere. Yeah. Gorgeous watches. Yes, totally. But may I suggest being a vintage guy myself, I feel like I have to say this. Yes. Why not go for a vintage premiere? You know, what if you bought like a yellow, solid yellow gold, uh, vintage top time from Breitling? with a panda dial. That would be phenomenal. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, like... You, these, you might be these, the one to chisel me down into getting one of those. We'll keep talking. I, the we'll, only we'll thing... Because price-wise, we're looking probably cheaper than one of these new premieres that they're selling you at the, at the, uh, the boutique. But mm-hmm. the only thing that I would caution you for going into the vintage is sizing because i don't know if you're you know familiar or or used to wearing something that's 36 millimeters or 37 millimeters uh i don't know if it's something that you'd want that's a great question i mean so for me i have one watch that's 36 millimeters it's my rolex datejust it's actually Mm. a birth year watch for me Um, wow and that's my only uh one that's that size Mm mm-hmm my sweet spot, I think for me, I'm and I'm comfortable wearing it. I enjoy that watch. I don't wear it often enough. I'm saying that out loud because I need to remind myself to put it back in rotation. Yes. Um, but 36, 37, I'm okay with. In fact, that El Primero is 37 millimeter. Um, yeah. 38, very comfortable. 39, comfortable. 40, comfortable. Okay. So, well, I, I'm fairly certain they had made those in the quote-unquote jumbo sizes. Okay. So I'm sure we can find you one that, that fits in your, in your wrist size category. So, right. And my wrist size isn't super big anyway. Uh, my wrist size is right around seven inches. Yeah. I mean, like my, I, I have a six and a half inch wrist and mm-hmm. I wear my, uh, Zenith, uh, yellow gold Zenith, uh, 146 HP chronograph all the time. And, and, you know, it feels very modern to me. It's 37 or 38 millimeters and, I love it. I think, I think you could pull it off, man, especially with the way you dress, you know, you're quite a dapper guy yourself. So you can do it. Sir. I appreciate that. Go for it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk. We'll definitely talk about that. I'm glad, I'm glad I've put that thought. I've inceptioned you on an episode. 
<laughs> yes, you did. And and now we have witnesses too on here. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, one of the things that um I wanted to just make sure that our listeners do and I and I I'm hoping that you guys can go ahead and and send in your questions. Uh, we've got to be doing a Q&A pretty soon. So for you listeners out there uh, listening, please go ahead and submit your questions. Uh, you can submit them either through direct message with me or you can go ahead and you know send them to um, bezelbanter at gmail.com. And uh, that's pretty much. Daniel, do you want to tell our listeners too what you've been up to or what's Yeah, happening? well, I mean, uh, honestly, in the watch realm, really not anything crazy i've i've tried to stay on a a a watch fast this year okay uh you know uh, other than the the telly one that's coming out i think really i've just been enjoying my collection and i think that's something that a lot of us should try more do you know what i mean like a lot of us are, are always chasing something we're always looking at what's next and all that like hang on a second you got a cool collection already enjoy them right? Like wear them, enjoy them, figure out what you really want, what you're really into, let your taste evolve, and then jump into the next phase of, of hunting and, and chasing. So I'm sort of in between right now and, and trying to just enjoy what I got. Yeah. I love that. Daniel, That that those are such great words of wisdom when it comes down to this watch uh, collection, this watch hobby that we have. Because we do get so focused. You're right on like the whole, the next, what's the next one? Great tip. I love it. Thank you. En- enjoy what you got. Enjoy what you got. You worked hard for it. So once you get it, enjoy it. Absolutely. Hey, do you want to share with our listeners real quick just what, how to get a hold of you if they need to get a hold of you? Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, anyone who's wanting to, to chat with me is, is, you know, go ahead, feel free. Don't hesitate. I, I don't bite uh, online at least. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> Uh, find me at longer.bonger on Instagram, and I'm sure it'll be on the show notes, right? Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to <laughs> put that in. Exactly. Yeah. DM me there and we'll chat, man. Or that woman. sounds awesome. Lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I just wanted to say, Leslie, we missed you. Uh, we hope yes. you're doing well, and uh, we hope that work is uh, doing well for you. And, um, Damn, man, it's been such a treat. Thank you so much for spending time with us here today and and talking about chronographs. I think, number one, I feel a little less intimidated, and number two, I'm more intrigued, uh, which, you know, that that's always good because I've learned quite a bit uh, just having the conversation with you today. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, man, and, and I hope uh, that this episode wasn't too just boring and not enough well, it was it was too bezel and not enough banter, right? I, I hope uh, our listeners enjoyed uh, their time listening to us as well. And and thank you again for for having me on here. And really, really appreciate that, man. Hope to chat with you again soon. I'm looking forward to the next one. Definitely, I appreciate it. And guys, thank you so much for listening and spending time with us on Bezel Banter. Please hit the show notes for more details and links. You can follow us on Instagram. Leslie is at Ladies Wrist, and I'm at Ernesto Guapo seventy two. Uh, and you can follow the show, of course, at Bezel Banter Media. If you have any questions for us, please feel free to reach out to us on bezelbanter at gmail.com. And please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcast because it truly helps us out. Additionally, you can grab this episode and other episodes at www.bezelbanter.com. 
Thanks again, and we look forward to catching up with you on another episode of Bezel Banter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.